pray together. Father, we do want highest praises and honor and glory to be to your name. And Father, we want to be those who walk with you, those who know you, those who praise you, those who find our satisfaction, our life, our reason for being, everything, Lord, in you. And so we pray that you would teach us by this text. We pray that you would do for us what the Apostle Paul describes when he says that whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction, that through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So, Lord, I pray that your word would be for us this morning what it is, that it would be living and active, that it would cut us up, that it would expose our, our sin, our pride, our self-centeredness, our self-reliance, our narrow-mindedness. And, Lord, I pray that you would humble us before your majesty and make us those who know that you are everything. We ask that you would do all these things and many more, Lord. We pray that you would cause people to know you. Even during this sermon, I pray that people would come to faith. We pray that you would make us an evangelistic magnet. We pray that so many people would be converted through the ministry of this church and the ministry of the members of this church, Lord, that that we would have to plant new churches. We pray that you would continue to equip people for ministry and send them out. Lord, we love you, and we want to see your name made great in all the nations. And we ask all this to that end. Amen. I would invite you to open this morning to Genesis chapter 29, and we'll be in the end of chapter 29 and the beginning of chapter 30. And what a passage. What a passage. Um. We are right in the middle of the, the Jacob narrative, and right before this, the passage that we're looking at today, Laban deceives and defrauds Jacob by sending Leah in as Jacob's wife when Jacob thought he was going to be getting Rachel. So right before this, Laban deceives Jacob. Right after this, Jacob is going to deceive Laban, if you want to just look at chapter 31, verse 20, it says, And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. So we're in this passage that's right in the middle. Laban tricks Jacob on the front end. Jacob tricks Laban on the back end. Outside of that, in chapter 28, uh, Jacob has this experience where he sees that ladder going into heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on the stairway or ladder or whatever it is, this these set of steps, flight of steps. Uh, and so he, he, he has this revelation of God. On the other side, in chapter 32, Jacob is going to wrestle with God in the night. And then before that, on, in chapter 27, Esau is ready to kill Jacob. And then on the other side, in chapter 33, Jacob and Esau are going to have this sort of reunion. So all through this section, we're dealing with conflicts. Conflicts between Jacob and Esau, conflicts between Jacob and Laban, and now here in the passage that for, that's before us, we've got conflicts between, between Leah and Rachel, but really I think it's Rachel and Leah. I think the problem is going that way. Rachel, Rachel's the one that's got the problem, um, and then Leah seems to be just a poor victim of the circumstances. She's got her responsibilities, but she does pretty well. So in the passage that we're looking at, right here in the middle of this section, we're going to see the Lord keep his promises to Jacob. God has promised that Jacob is going to have land, seed, and blessing. And this part is the seed part and the blessing part. Jacob's children are going to be multiplied in this passage, and then his flocks and herds are going to be multiplied. And so God is going to give to Jacob the descendants that he's promised, and then he's going to give him enormous wealth by means of the multiplication of these flocks and herds. And you would think 
You would think that a man who had seen angels ascending and descending, who had seen the living God, and who then sees how all that God has promised begins to come to pass in his life, you would think that he would praise God, that he would walk with God, that he would recognize the only place for me to find satisfaction is in God, you would think. That's not what we're going to find, unfortunately, for Jacob. So let's, let's uh, begin here. And our first unit of text deals with the multiplication of Jacob's children. And it's going to start at 2931, and it's going to run through chapter 30, verse 24. And I just want to highlight um, sort of the, the units here. So notice how... In, in 2931, it says, when the Lord saw. And then if you look at 30 verse 1, it's when Rachel saw. And then 30 verse 9, when Leah saw. And then we get a new character introduced in chapter 30 verse 14, when Reuben goes and finds mandrakes. And then at 3017, it says there, and God listened to Leah. And then at 30.22, it says, then God remembered Rachel. So these are sort of the markers of the units of the text. Let's look at the first one in 29.31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Now, this is just a, just a profoundly sad situation. That, that Leah has been forced upon Jacob. And, and we don't know what she thought about this. The, the narrative doesn't go into it. But she recognizes, everybody recognizes, the woman that Jacob wanted to marry was Rachel. And now he's stuck with Leah too. And the Lord sees this. The Lord sees that Leah is hated. And I just want to encourage you that this is the kind of God the God of the Bible is. The God of the Bible is the kind of God who sees the affliction of the afflicted. The God of the Bible is the kind of God who sees a woman who is not loved by her husband. Can you imagine how miserable this situation would be? That you and your sister, if you're Rachel and Leah, have the same husband. And it's worse for Leah, I think, than it is for Rachel because everybody can tell that Jacob delights in Rachel and he doesn't really have any use for Leah or any desire for Leah. In fact, the text says he hates her. That, I, I, it'd be hard for me to imagine a more miserable situation than that, than Leah's situation. But the Lord blesses her. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So we're seeing here that, that themes that we've already seen are, are recurring. So you remember that Sarah, we were told, all the way back in Genesis 11, we were told that Sarah was barren. And then we're told that uh, Rebekah, wife of Isaac, was barren. And we're actually told that Isaac married Rebekah when he was 40 years old, and then that Jacob and Esau were not born until he was 60 years old. So Rebekah was barren for, for 20 years, and uh, Sarah, you'll remember, had been barren for 25 years because we're told that Abraham was 75 when the Lord promised him land, seed, and blessing. And then it's an, he's 100 when Isaac is born. And now here we learn that like, like Sarah and like Rebekah, Rachel also is barren. Meanwhile, Leah is, is bearing children. And look at the poignant, painful Response of Leah in verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. And in Hebrew, the ru part means something like look. And then the bane part means something like a son. So it's kind of like she's saying, look, everybody, God gave me a son. And then she gives him that as the name. There's also a little bit of the word affliction in there. So it's almost as though we could hear her saying, look, a son in my affliction. And so look at how it says, the Lord saw, that's the same word for uh, look. The Lord saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb. Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name, look a son, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now, so far, I would say Leah's in a great spiritual state. 
She's, she's rejoicing over what God has done for her, and she's recognizing God's work in her life. The Lord has looked upon my affliction. And then the next part of the verse, I think, is just sheer sadness. She says, for now my husband will love me. And, and you, can hear the, you can hear what she wants. You can hear the yearning for her husband's affection, for her husband's approval. She wants to be close to this man who, we just learned a verse earlier, hates her. And then the next verse, verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son. And look at her son. Because the Lord, look at her response, sorry. Because the Lord has heard that I'm hated. Well, what did the Lord hear? I think he probably heard her prayers. I think that these words indicate that Leah's response to all this is, is to seek the Lord, to cry out to the Lord. And then when the Lord blesses her with another child, she says, the Lord has heard. The Lord has heard that I'm hated. He's given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. And Simeon's name is built off of the Hebrew word for hear. And then the own part at the end, Shema is like hear, and then the own part again is affliction. So it's almost as though she names this boy, he has heard me in my affliction. Look, a son in my affliction. He has heard me in my affliction. Verse 34, again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. So she's still seeking this attachment, this closeness, this intimacy, this oneness with Jacob. My husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called, and if they were to render it the way that it sounds in Hebrew, his name was called Attached. Because, because the word Levi in Hebrew is very close to the word that she uses when she says, now he'll be Levied to me. Now he'll be attached to me. So it's, it's just a really sad situation. The Lord is, is blessing Leah with children, but she doesn't have everything she wants. And she keeps not getting everything she wants. But she seems to learn. She seems to be making good progress in the right direction. Look at the next verse, verse 35. She conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I'll praise the Lord. It's like, it's like she's saying, okay, look, I see how things are. I've had enough of trying to win that man who's in love with my sister, and I'm just going to find my hope. I'm going to find my joy. I'm going to find my satisfaction in life in God, and I'm going to praise the Lord. And it's like she names the boy Praise, Judah. That's what, that's what his name means, Praise. And I would just, I would just commend Leah's example to you, and I, and I would say to you that if you're in a place of affliction, if you're in a place of suffering, you can be confident of some, some things. You can be confident that the Lord sees your affliction, and he knows it. If, if you think of over in Exodus chapter 2, when the people of Israel are groaning under their slavery, Moses writes, the Lord saw the affliction of his people and the Lord knew. The Lord sees, the Lord knows. You should also, I would say, follow Leah's example and cry out to the Lord. And also, I would say that if you don't find your satisfaction if you don't find your joy, if you don't find your reason for existing in being satisfied in Christ, you will never be satisfied at all. You can mark it down, you can keep a record of your life, and you can watch it prove true because that's the way that the Lord has set the world up. The Lord has set the world up so that all attempts to be satisfied in anything but him will be thwarted. Now, you may find fleeting pleasures of sin. You may find temporary forms of satisfaction, but before long, you'll be singing with the Rolling Stones about how you can't get it. You can't get no satisfaction, no lasting satisfaction, no real deep, utter, soul-deep pleasure in life. That's only to be found in walking with God. So there's our first unit. The Lord saw that Leah was hated. 
And, and before we move on from this, let's just notice how frequently we see the Lord and Lord with the squashed small caps, which represents Yahweh. So verse 31, Yahweh saw that Leah was hated. And then verse uh, 32, Yahweh has looked upon my affliction. Verse 33, Yahweh has heard that I am hated. And then verse 35, this time I will praise Yahweh. And I point that out because there isn't going to be any of that in this next little unit of verses. These next eight, eight verses, the name of Yahweh is absent. So chapter 30, verse 1, notice the contrast with 2931. When Yahweh saw in chapter 2931, 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw. So this time, the focus is all on Rachel. And Rachel's perspective is all this worldly. So when Rachel saw that she saw Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And I think that this is, this is such a, an ironic and interesting situation because what Leah wants is what Rachel has. Rachel has Jacob's love. And what Rachel wants is what Leah has. Leah's having all these kids. And, and I, I think what Rachel ought to want is the other thing that Rachel, uh, sorry, what Rachel ought to want is the other thing that Leah seems to have, which is this vibrant relationship with the Lord, where she's able to praise him even in the midst of her affliction, even in the midst of being unloved, Leah is praising the Lord. Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children. She envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. This is a very interesting perspective that Rachel has because in this world, in in the ancient world that, that Rachel and Leah and Jacob are operating in, if you don't bear children, your line ends. And so for, for a barren woman not to have children is almost like her line of the family to die, which also means that when a barren woman gives birth, it's like resurrection from the dead because you've got a dead corpse out of which life has come. So, you know, this informs our thinking about Isaac earlier in the book when he's born, and, and this is really the way that Paul speaks about it in Romans 4. He says that, that God called Isaac out of uh, Sarah's womb, which was as good as dead. And then he adds that Abraham, his body was as good as dead. And God resurrected life out of those dead bodies. And so when Rachel says, give me children or I shall die, there's a broader perspective here that, that, that includes if I don't have offspring, there's a death of my, not just of my body, but of my, my line of the family. And look at Jacob's response in verse 2. Uh, let, 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 me just, let me just pause a note here. You know, I think sinful, fleshly, foolish, um, lustful people are sometimes inclined to think, oh, more wives, uh, more pleasure. More wives, more happiness. Never works out that way. I mean, look at the text. Verse 2, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. Jacob is not living this blissful existence. Jacob has these sisters that are envying one another, that are not happy with one another, and they're going to be fighting over him too. This is not a, this is not a good life. When the, when the Lord says, the two shall become one flesh, he's giving you a good rule of life that is actually for your happiness. And then Jacob says there in verse 2, am I in the place of God? That's the right question. Jacob, at least, you know, at this level of theology, Jacob understands that it was the Lord who opened Leah's womb back in 2931. And so for Rachel to demand children from him is for her to do the wrong thing. What's she not doing? She's not calling on the one who is in the place of God, is she? This is Jacob saying, look, you're bringing that request to the wrong person. You need to take that request to God. I'm not the guy that can control this. Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? 
And at this point, I think Rachel has a choice, and she makes the wrong choice. Rachel, what, let's think about the different ways that Rachel could respond. She could say, I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. She could say, I know what happened with Isaac's birth when, when Sarah was barren. She could say, I know what happened with Rebekah when she was barren, and Jacob and Esau, here they are. She could say, I'm going to call on the Lord. My husband has just indicated to me who has power over life and death, so I'm going to call on his name. Instead of doing that, she does Genesis 16. Genesis 16, Sarah sees that she's barren, and so she tells her husband, go into my servant. And that's what happens here too. And um, here again, we have an outworking of God's words of judgment in Genesis 3.16. God spoke words of judgment over the man and the woman, and he said particularly to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And and we've talked about this. I think that desire is desire to tell him what to do, desire to control his actions. And and so I think this indicates, and and I I think it's reiterated across the book of Genesis, that when women decide, I'm going to take the initiative, I'm going to set the program, I'm going to tell the men what to do, or I'm going to coerce them to do what they ought to do. It it often, in Genesis, winds up going in a bad direction. So uh, you remember, it was Eve who took of the fruit and gave some to her husband, and he ate, and the eyes of both were opened. It was Sarah who took uh, Hagar and gave, and, and, and Adam listened to the voice of his wife, and Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. And now it's We've seen Lot's daughters take the initiative and set the program and decide the agenda. And now we're seeing Rachel do the same thing. And everybody be clear here. Everybody listen to me. I'm not saying don't ever listen to a woman, all right? If your wife gives you good and godly counsel, you should listen to her. If your wife opens her mouth to have a conversation to, or or, or any woman in your life, if she gives you good and godly, godly counsel, you should take it into account. If she wants to have a conversation with you, you should listen to what she's saying. Absolutely no question. But if she proposes a sinful course of action, don't listen. And don't let her set the agenda. This this shouldn't be hard, I don't think. In fact, I would be inclined to say it's only hard if you're trying to make it hard. And you're listening listening to me in an uncharitable, unsympathetic, cynical way. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. If you sense that I'm frustrated, yes, I'm frustrated with people that listen in a cynical, unsympathetic, uh, uncharitable way. Don't do that. Don't listen to anybody that way. That's not helpful. That's not how you want to be listened to. So really, I'm just asking you to, to live out the golden rule here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You want to be listened to sympathetically, charitably, not cynically? Please do that with me. Okay, we can move on. Rachel seizes the reins. Look at verse 3. Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah, go into her. Now, if multiplying wives the first time is going to make it bad, what do you think multiplying wives again is going to do? It's, we've, we've tried this before. This is going nowhere good. This is not a good idea. It's only going to make things worse. She said, here's my servant Bilhah, go into her. So that she may give birth on my behalf, literally on my knees, that even I may have children through her. And, and listen, a good and godly husband at this point needs to say to his wife, that's a sinful proposal. You're proposing that I do something sinful. We're not going to do that. I want you to seek the Lord who has the power to open your womb. I want you to seek the Lord. And, and listen, Rachel, you know that I think this is how Jacob should talk. Rachel, you know that I love you. You know that you are the delight of my days. You know that there's nobody that I want to be with more than you. But Rachel, if you don't find your satisfaction in knowing God, if it's not enough for you to walk with God, even if he never gives you children... Nothing will ever be enough for you, and you will never find satisfaction. That's what Jacob needs to do. That's not what Jacob does. Jacob says, okay, another woman. Verse 4, she gave him 
her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Now, the way that this passage is structured, notice how you got talk about Bilhah in verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to have talk about Bilhah conceiving again in verse 7. So it's like Bilhah before what we're about to read, Bilhah after what we're about to read. And notice how similar verse 7 is to verse 4. In verse 4, uh, she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived. Look at verse 7. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So it's, it's matching, and the reason that Moses has constructed it this way, to put these matching references to Bilhah on either side, is to center this verse that we're about to read, which, in, which is in the very middle of the passage. And it's, it's what Rachel says at the birth of Bilhah's first, first son. Look at what we see there in the middle of verse, near the end of verse 6. Therefore she called his name Dan. And in Hebrew, the word Dan means judgment. Um, I'm sorry, I should read all of verse 6. I, I missed that part. Sorry, verse 6. Rachel said, God has judged me. God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Now, what I'm suggesting to you is that Moses has strategically placed her statement, God has judged me, because Moses means something by that statement that Rachel doesn't mean by that statement. Rachel means something like, God has vindicated me. God has authorized my proposal and given me this child and made my husband fruitful. And I think Moses means, no, Rachel, God has judged you. This was not a good idea. This was not a good program. This was not a good decision. And God has judged you. And I think that's why Moses sets the passage up the way that he does to, to, to highlight Rachel saying, God has judged me. Not, not, not a good thing. And then we just read verse 7 where, she, where Bilhah conceives again. Look at Rachel's response to this in verse 8. Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings. And, and the word mighty there is, is literally God. So what Rachel says is, with wrestlings of God, but they take that to be like a superlative way of indicating that she really struggled with her. With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. So notice sister in verse 1, sister in verse 8. She's envying her sister in verse 1. She's wrestling with her sister in verse 8. And as a result, uh, she calls, I mean, we could call this boy... Um, my wrestling, or something like that. You know, you could get created, creative with that wrestler or something like that. She called his name Naphtali. That's the word for wrestling that's used. Uh, it's, it's really, I think, sad the way this plays out because, because Rachel's perspective is going to be commemorated and, and it's going to be sounded every time she calls these names. Dan, judgment. Naphtali, wrestling with Leah. And, and it's like a continual reminder of the family strife. So, application from this, it's really kind of like what we saw with Leah, isn't it? If you're in a place of affliction, know that God sees you. If you're in a place of affliction, don't get frustrated with the people in your life who really can't fix it. They can't fix it for you, but there is someone who can. And if you're in a place of affliction, don't resort to sinful solutions that are only going to make things worse. Cry out to the Lord. Well, Leah, we saw her going in a good direction. Bad company corrupts good character. And I think that's what we see here. Look at verse 9. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children. And Leah this time doesn't do what, what she seemed to do before. Before, it seems, Leah's, Leah's hated by Jacob, so she calls on the Lord. The Lord blesses her with children. This time, she sees that she's not bearing any more children. And she sees what Rachel's done. And she decides, oh, maybe I'll try that too. <laughs> to which, again, she needs, if her husband is not going to play this role in her life, if her husband is not going to say, Leah, that's a bad idea. We're not going to adopt a sinful program. She needs a church. 
around her. She needs some church members to say, bad idea, Leah, stupid idea, only going to make things worse, only going to make you miserable. Or maybe a pastor to say, I think if you do that, that will be sinful. Don't do that. Don't do that. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, verse 9, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, now I think that Leah's response is better than Rachel's because I think when she says good fortune, I don't think she means this sort of pagan concept of fortune like fate and somehow good things are happening. I think she's actually saying uh, God is causing good things to happen here. So it's almost like, it seems to me, Leah is praising God even though she's done something she shouldn't have done. And so she calls his name Gad, which in Hebrew sounds like fortune. And then we get another child, verse 12, and verse 12 sounds again like the previous verse. Uh, sorry, verse 10. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy am I. And in this case, uh, this is the same word that, that opens Psalm 1. Uh, that means blessed. You could translate it blessed. Sometimes some translations, I think, render it happy. Um, so she calls his name Asher, which is, uh, you know, the, the same term that occurs there in Psalm 1. Uh, she's saying that she's blessed. So, uh, you know, people are complicated. I think Leah was doing well spiritually. Now she's not doing so well spiritually. She's done something she shouldn't have done, but the Lord has, the Lord has made it fruitful and she's praising the Lord for it. it. You know, the Bible is messy sometimes. In the next episode, it's like we descend, it's like, it's like things are just going, getting worse and worse. So in verses 14 through um, 16, we, we see this descent into a superstitious and sinful, and I think, dirty situation. This, this is one of those places in the Bible that the longer you look at this, the worse it gets. Verse 14, in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field. And mandrakes look like little people, you know, it's like a root and if you pull it out of the ground, it looks like it has legs and it looks like it has a body, it looks like a human being. And so, um, it seems that in this ancient culture, they thought that somehow those little people-looking things would help you be fertile, that they would help you have babies. So Rachel makes this demand there in the middle of verse 14. After Reuben brings these to Leah, Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And we can see how things are not great between Rachel and Leah, can't we? Verse 15, she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? That's not peace. I mean, these ladies are not getting along with one another. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And so Rachel makes a deal. And, you know, there's a, there's a word that we use to describe it when somebody sells sex or when somebody has a, a person that they sell for sex. There, there's terminology for this, you know? And they're not good words. And you don't expect to find these kinds of things in the Bible. But there it is. I mean, this is... It, if somebody looks at a, at a passage like this and they think, oh, the Bible endorses polygamy, the patriarchs had multiple wives, if somebody comes to that conclusion, your next thought should be, that person is not a very good interpreter of the Bible. This is not Moses endorsing polygamy. This is Moses revealing that polygamy goes to bad places. Pig polygamy... Polygamy just multiplies different kinds of sin. It just produces more and more bad stuff. So Rachel says here in the middle of verse 15, then he may lie to you, with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. So I have something of value, which is access to Jacob, and you have something that I want. And so I will take the... I will give you the thing of value for the thing that I want. We'll make, a, we'll make a, essentially a monetary exchange here. Verse 16, 
When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. I paid good money for you. So he lay with her that night. And, and then I think we open the next unit in verse 17. And what's, what's ironic about this, and, and what I think shows Moses' perspective here, is that Rachel is the one who got access to the mandrakes, but the mandrakes don't make Rachel pregnant. Rachel got access to the mandrakes, but Leah is the one who gets pregnant. And look at why Moses says Leah got pregnant. Verse 17, God listened to Leah. So, again, it seems this indicates that Leah is calling on the name of the Lord. Leah is praying. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So, I think this is all convoluted in Leah's thinking. I think this is a totally wrong perspective. She thinks that God is rewarding her with payment because she sent Zilpah into Jacob. That, look, this is, not, this is not the theology that Moses is teaching. This is bad thinking that Moses is showing. Moses doesn't want you to think about the world this way. He wants you to look at the way that Leah is thinking and, and respond like, oh, Leah. That's unfortunate that you, that you calculated it that way. That's, that's mistaken. On the positive side, at least Leah is thinking about the Lord. God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband, so she called his name Issachar. Can you imagine having a name? So Issachar sounds like wages in Hebrew. Can you imagine having a name that meant the wage of the servant going into your father. I mean, I think that's a really sad name. I think that's a really, that, that if, if I was Issachar and I came to understand that, I would want to be called by a nickname. <laughs> Call me something else. Don't remind me of this sad history of my family. Verse 19, Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. This is a good name. Now my husband will honor me. She's still looking for Jacob's love because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun, which means it sounds like endowment in Hebrew. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. So before we go on, uh, let's just sort of take stock. Uh, Jacob essentially now has four wives. And the first of the wives, Leah, bears him six sons, and then the other three wives are going to bear him two sons each. And we've already seen how Bilhah, who's connected to Rachel, has given him two sons. And Zilpah, who's connected to Leah, has given him two sons. And so the one who hasn't yet given him any sons is Rachel. And she's now going to give him two sons. But we're not going to get to Benjamin for, for some time yet. We first meet Joseph here in verse 22. And this is so instructive here in verse 22. It says, then God remembered Rachel. Why did Rachel get pregnant? Not because of those mandrakes. She just got those mandrakes a few verses ago, right? She sold Jacob to get the mandrakes. And Moses doesn't say she took the mandrakes, and as a result of their magical powers, she can see. No, that is not the way it works. God remembered Rachel. So, you know, if, if we look at this and we sort of, think to ourselves, how could Rachel have responded to her situation? Let, let's, just, let's just grant the, the awful circumstance of the marriage, and let's just say they're stuck with, Rachel and Leah are stuck together with Jacob. How might they have responded if they were going to be those who are walking with God and who are responding to their circumstances in faith? Well, I think that Rachel could say, God, if, if she knew God, if she understood the promises, God blessed Abraham, and then that blessing was passed to Isaac, and Isaac blessed my husband Jacob. I am necessarily going to be blessed as long as I bless Abraham. Because God said in Genesis 12, 3, those who bless you, I will bless. 
So what I'm going to do is get on board with God's program, and I'm going to be somebody that blesses Jacob because he is the bearer of the blessing of Abraham. And everybody that is connected to Abraham, I am going to do whatever I can do to be positively disposed to them. So Leah is also connected to Jacob. I'm going to love Leah, and I'm going to bless Leah. And as Leah has children, I'm going to rejoice with her. And I'm not the point. If my line is cut off, if I, quote, unquote, die because I have no sons, fine. I want to be part of the blessing of Abraham. And, and I want to make the best of this situation. So I want to give thanks to God that I have a husband and that I'm part of the blessing. What a thing to rejoice over. Who cares about that other stuff? If she understands that it doesn't profit a man anything to gain the whole world and lose his soul. If she understands that, then she'll be ready to say, I want to be on board with the blessing of Abraham. And that's what I'm going to be. That's, I'm going to find my satisfaction in knowing God, and I'm going to be about the blessing of Abraham. And then, if she lives that way, and God remembers Rachel, she's got nothing to regret. She's got nothing to look back on and say, oh, if, I, if only I hadn't been so nasty to Leah. If only I hadn't decided to multiply problems by sending Bilhah in there. If only I hadn't made these wrongful accusations against my husband. Give me children or I die. If, if she'll walk with God, when the Lord keeps his promise, which we have every reason to expect him to do, she'll only have more reasons to rejoice in him. God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her. Probably, I mean, in view of what we see in the narrative, um, but, you know, as the story goes on, when, when uh, Jacob flees from Laban, Rachel steals Laban's household gods. So I think that Rachel is probably like some of these people that some, some of us have interacted with, that they're happy to add Jesus into the people that they pray to. They're happy to add Yahweh in among the mix of the various deities that they worship. And so Rachel probably is at some level calling out to the Lord. I don't think probably ex exclusively. Otherwise, she wouldn't have taken Laban's household gods. But God listens to her. God remembers her. God is merciful to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. And the name Joseph means something like, may he add. And the reason she calls his name is she's say, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. This is not what we want to see. I, don't, I submit to you, this is not what we want to see. If God blesses you with one good thing, I submit to you that you ought to say, praise the Lord. And I'm going to be satisfied in the Lord. And I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Not, oh good, now I want another one. If that's, if that's where your heart is, now give me another one. Then your happiness is in what you want him to give you, not in him. And, and a, a God has not set the world up so that people who approach it that way are going to ultimately be satisfied. So in, in that unit, uh, the Lord is multiplying Jacob's seed, his offspring. He's keeping his promise to Jacob. In the next unit, starting at verse 25, we're going to see the Lord multiply Jacob's flocks. And um, this is a, a very interesting passage. So let's just charge right into it. Verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, which let's just note here that uh, Jacob... Made, a, made an agreement with Laban to serve him for seven years for Rachel, and then he got Leah, and he agreed to serve another seven years. So probably when, when Rachel gives birth to Joseph, we're at the end of that 14-year period. Jacob has probably been over there serving for 14 years at this point because now he can say, send me away. I've fulfilled my contract. And so probably Joseph was born at the end of Jacob's 14 years of service to Laban. 
Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. The word country there in Hebrew is land, that I may go to my own land. And, and Moses is, is sounding the note of promise here. God promised the land of Canaan to Abraham, and now Jacob knows he needs to go back to the land that God promised. Then Jacob says in verse 26, Give me my wives and my children. Those children represent seed. He's got 11 of them at this point. For whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. Okay, so we got land and seed. Look what's in the next verse. Verse 27. Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that Yahweh has blessed me because of you. And, um, okay, the divination gave him something true for once. The divination revealed something to him that he probably could have just gotten by his own observation of the world. Or, even better, if Laban... If Laban what, what would this look like if Laban was a man of God? If Laban was a man of God, if Laban was interested in the Lord, Laban might go to Jacob and say, Jacob, tell me about your family. Tell me about your father and your grandfather. Tell me about these promises that have come down to you. And then Laban could get on board with the promise of Abraham. Laban could understand, oh, God said he was going to bless everyone who blesses Abraham. Well, I'm going to bless Abraham by blessing you, Jacob. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to, I'm going to deal rightly with you. Denny read earlier in the passage, Jacob complains about Laban. He's changed my wages these 10 times, and he's cheated me all these years. That's how Laban... Well, if Laban was a man of God, I think his attitude would be, Jacob's the one under the blessing. I'm going to bless Jacob because I want to be on God's program. I want to be on board with God. He doesn't need divination for this information. He could, he could get it from the promises. But notice that we got land in verse 27. We got seed in verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 25. Seed in verse 26. And then blessing in verse 27. But you notice how it's being revealed. It's being revealed in a way that indicates that it's not really front and center for really Jacob or Laban to be, to be really consciously, wholeheartedly, with a hunger and thirst for righteousness, seeking the kingdom of God. It's, it's more like Jacob's like, all right, look, I fulfilled my contract. I got this land to go back to. Give me what's mine, and I'll go on about my life. Keep living the way I've been living. Laban says in verse 28, name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? So Jacob's saying, look, Laban, everything that I touched, the Lord blessed, and the Lord blessed you because of me. And, and if Jacob could continue, he would say, this is because he promised to bless Abraham. And so this situation is set up where essentially Jacob and Laban are going to make a deal. And here's the deal that they're going to make in verses 31 through 36. And even in the midst of the making of the deal, they're, they're, uh, they're each looking to swindle one another. Laban has already swindled Jacob Jacob is going to trick Laban, and they're trying, to, they're trying to get the best of one another here, too. And, and just as we did with Rachel a second ago, I, I want to say this about Jacob. Jacob's going to recognize in the next chapter, as Denny read earlier in the service, that it's God who has blessed him, that it wasn't those, these sticks and these, these eugenic practices, whatever they may have been, that he engaged in that resulted in his part of the flock multiplying and not uh, Laban's. It was God who blessed him. Jacob's going to recognize that. I, th I think it would have been better for Jacob all along to be somebody that says, look, whatever affliction I go through, God has promised to bless me. I'm going to believe God's word. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to deal with Laban, even if he tries to wrong me, with integrity. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conduct myself in such a way that when God does bless me, I can look back at my life and not feel like, Ugh, maybe it wasn't such a good idea to rip my father-in-law off. Maybe it wasn't such a good idea to blow my family up on both sides. 
If he, had, if he had walked in integrity the whole way and trusted the promises of God the whole way, he wouldn't have blown up Isaac and Rebekah and Esau, and he wouldn't have blown up Laban. He, he, he could have been a blessing to them. He could have said to them things like, you know, if you'll walk with God, if you'll get on board with the blessing of Abraham, you'll be blessed too. God loves you. God wants good things for you. But you have to turn away from these idols that you got in your house, Laban. Those things aren't going to help you. Yahweh's the only maker of heaven and earth. Verse 31, he said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. And I would just point out here that in verse 31, he talks about shepherding the flock. In verse 32, he talks about removing certain aspects of the, of the flock. And now in verses 33 and 34, we see the deal. Here's, here's Jacob's part of the deal. My honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. So there's the deal. Uh, uh, Jacob's honesty is going to answer for him. And now, in verse 35, you remember in verse 32, Jacob said, I'll remove your animals. Well, look what Laban does in verse 35. That day... Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. So they made a deal that involved those kind of animals that Laban just removed from the flock. As they multiplied, they would be Jacob's. So this is the equivalent of somebody signing a contract and then he violates the contract right after he signs it. That's what Laban has done. Laban made a deal with Jacob for Jacob to benefit in a certain way, and then after making the deal, he removes those, those parts of the flock that would have gone, that would have helped Jacob. So Laban, you know what Laban's doing? He is belittling or dishonoring or we might say cursing the descendant of Abraham who has the blessing of Abraham. Laban, it... God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you I will curse. Laban is putting himself under that. And then verse 36, he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. And that brings us to this final unit of the passage where Jacob... Uh, engages in this program by which he wants to multiply his part of the flock. And I've already, I've already talked about the way that, that um, he's going to recognize in the very next chapter that it's actually God who multiplies his sheep. But here we, we see what he, de- what he does. So verse 37. Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks In the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Now, there are at least two possibilities as to what's going on here. One possibility is that Jacob is is hoping in some sort of visual kind of magical result where because the sticks are striped, He's thinking that's somehow going to influence the flocks bearing striped sticks. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it's just junk science, just ancient junk science eugenics. Another possibility is that somehow Jacob is manipulating these sticks so that these animals that are ready to reproduce are um, somehow... um, not getting access to males and instead getting access to these sticks so that the animals that Jacob wants to reproduce are the ones who are actually getting access to males and the animals that Jacob doesn't want to reproduce are the ones that are getting access to the sticks. So that, I mean, if you've ever seen an animal that's really ready to reproduce, 
they will rub themselves on whatever they can get access to. And so, I mean, depending on what we understand Jacob to have crafted here, he may have crafted some sort of, like, fake animal that he then puts in position to be um, accessed by the females that he doesn't want to reproduce. I, we don't know. We don't have enough information to know exactly what Jacob is doing. But I will say this. We can see that he's a man of ingenuity. We can see that he's a man of creativity. We can see that he's a man who, who is taking action. And as I thought about this, this is what I wanted to say to Jacob. Jacob, think, think how much better your life would have been if you had used some of that ingenuity, some of that creativity, some of that active imagination and, and entrepreneurial spirit to pursue the Lord, to, to, to see that everybody in your family knew the Lord and walked with him instead of trying to rip off your father-in-law. Think how much better it would have been if you had used your human capacity to know God and to walk with him. Well, we continue here. Verse 40, Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flocks. So he seems to be separating the animals from one another and one group is reproducing and the other is not. Verse 41, whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in front of the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Ultimately, Rachel didn't have children because of mandrakes. And Jacob didn't have great flocks because of those sticks. God was blessing. God was remembering. God was keeping his promises. So how does this passage teach us? What is the Lord showing us? How does he want to encourage us? I just want to affirm some things that we see in this passage. God is keeping his promises, isn't he? And Leah is praising God. Rachel, at this point, is thinking primarily of herself. And God is keeping his promises. And Laban is thinking of himself. And Jacob seems to be asking, what's in it for me? How can I maximize my benefit? But God is blessing Jacob. I, I, I would say that this passage is saying to us, be satisfied in Christ. Know God. And if you're here this morning and you're somebody that doesn't identify as a Christian and you don't understand exactly what it looks like to, to repent of your sin and put your hope and trust in Jesus to save you, I'll be down here by this back door after the service. I'd love to talk with you. The person sitting next to you would probably love to talk with you. Please don't leave without settling that matter. You can know God. Be satisfied in him. Believe God's promises. And then thinking of the way that we see these relationships between Rachel and Leah and Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Laban, love your people. Love your people. Want what's best for them. Seek to help them experience the blessing of God. And to do that, you have to walk with God. And if you walk with God, you'll be satisfied in God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would strike from memory anything that I have said that is amiss. And I pray that you would grant a gracious, forgiving, loving, charitable, sympathetic, understanding spirit among all of us in this room for one another. Lord, I pray that you would make that so strong that the forces in the world that would turn people in other directions would have no power against us. And I pray that it would be the case that we are known to be followers of Jesus 
by the way that we love one another. Whom have we in heaven besides you? And there is nothing on earth that we desire besides you, Lord. You are our strength and our shield. You bestow favor and honor. In your presence is fullness of joy. And you make known the path of life. Cause our souls to resonate with all this, Lord. Make us those who know you, we pray. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, amen.